Turn to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24. While you're getting there, either in your Bible or on your phone or maybe the Bible app or whatever you have, let me just bring you up to speed with what's going on. Uh, if, you, if you've been with us in this series, you know David is on the run. He's running away from King Saul who wants to kill him. King Saul knows that David is a rival for the throne. He's been anointed by God for the, to be the future king of Israel. And so now David has collected 600 men at this point in time, which we'll see in the text, that are kind of his, his group. They're his army. The Bible actually ends up calling them his mighty men of valor. And they're a, just a hodgepodge, thrown-together group of people that were really discontent. They were despairing. Some of them were very in debt. And so here these outcasts ended up being pulled together. They're David's men. And chapter 23, I'm just going to navigate through that verbally with you. Chapter 23, David and his men ended up rescuing the city of Keilah from the Philistines while they're on their runaway from Saul. And then following that, they went into the wilderness and the hills of Horesh. And while they were there, David's best friend, Saul's son, Jonathan, came and met him. And I love what the text says in 1 Samuel 23. It says that Jonathan came to David and it says, helped him find strength in God. What a friend. What a great friend. And then in another mountain... All in chapter 23, Saul and his men were just about to get to David. And then all of a sudden they got word that the Philistines again attacked a nearby city. And so Saul and his army broke off to go and fight the Philistines and then get back on the trail to look for David again. And that is when David and his men fled to hide in the desert of En Gedi. Now, I don't know if you know much about En Gedi. If I say En Gedi, does that even ring a bell? Does it make much sense? Do you have a picture in your mind? Probably most of us don't. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give us a few pictures of what En Gedi is like. First, here's a map of En Gedi. It's actually known as a desert oasis. And I don't know how well you can see in the map, but you see there on, uh, on the map is a long strip of a water and that is the dead sea and so most of the way down there there's a little dot to the west side of the dead sea that is uh you you see it midway that is en gedi en gedi now i'm going to tell you en gedi so it's near the shoreline in a way coming down the mountain toward the dead sea above it all the way at the top of the dead sea is the qumran community and i don't know if that rings a bell for you either this is just a little extra thought the qumran community is where the dead sea scrolls were found does that ring a bell for some people so the dead sea scrolls um when they're found they were they're some of the oldest of writings translations also of scripture that have been discovered here's what they tell us if you ever want to google it, it's a really cool thing the qumran community and the Dead Sea Scrolls, because they have helped us realize and understand that the Bible you and I hold in our hands has been translated and passed on accurately over centuries and centuries and centuries. And it's really a confirmation. There's 
thousands of documents they found in that in the Dead Sea Scroll area in a cave. So south of that, En Gedi. Now I want to tell you it is an oasis. It is a spectacular place. So here's here's this will give you a picture of what En Gedi looks like. That's En Gedi. Probably not what you would figure for the desert there um, to the west of the Dead Sea. It is it's a beautiful place among desert caves. Right now, it's a national park in Israel that is the most visited nature site in the entire country of Israel. Here's another pic. So it's fed by springs that eventually make their way down to the Dead Sea, and they feed all this lush vegetation and in Bible times, it was a great place to raise goats. And this is why En Gedi means spring of the goats or spring of the kid, which would be young goats. Because, you know, goats will eat any vegetation. They just woof it all down. And so um, here's, here's um, chapter 24, verse 2 tells us this about Saul. So Saul took 3,000 abled young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. That's in Gedi. Here's another pic. You're going to get a good picture of why David took his men there. Because they could have sustenance. They had water. They had vegetation. They had everything that could keep them going in a hiding spot for a long period of time. But here's the main reason why they went there. The caves the rocks. It was a virtual Tetris maze of caves and crags. And Saul and his army, if you could just imagine it, they would like have to turn over almost every stone trying to find these people because this region was thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. So here's where we are now in chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to mention this to you. This is going to start by being Maybe one of the most unique passages you've ever heard in church. If Saul could say, uh, you know, if we could ask Saul, what was your most embarrassing moment? This is going to be it right here. Look at these verses with me, verses 3 and 4. He came to the sheep pens along the way. That's Saul. And a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. We're on the same page with that? Okay, moving on. David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, this is phenomenal proof that the Bible is a real book. You know, in this unique account of Saul's madness for revenge, it says he needs to relieve himself. Now, I have pictures of En Gedi. Thankfully, there are no pictures of this. Because when nature calls, we need to listen and Saul was no different. And so the king, wanting to maintain some dignity, going, I don't want people to see me doing this. I'm the king. And so he, 
He goes off and slips into a cave all by himself. He wanted some privacy. He ends up disrobing, making sure no, none of his men would see him. And wouldn't you know it, he waltzes right into the cave where David and his men were hiding. And here's the big idea of this whole awkward weird situation Saul the adversary of David the man seeking to kill David was the most we know it he was in the most vulnerable position that he could ever have been in you know in a hidden cave separated from his enemy haunched down going to the bathroom behind you is an army of 600 that would love to take you out right like that. It doesn't get much more vulnerable than that. And here's where our fun ends and where we really dig in because this passage exposes one of the greatest temptations that we all face. There's not a person in this room right now. There's not a person watching online right now that doesn't face this temptation. I face this temptation you face it, and probably even this week you have faced this temptation that we're just about to talk about. And here's what it is. Our true spirituality, you need to write this one down somewhere, our true spirituality is tested by what we do when our adversary is vulnerable. Now, if this doesn't start to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, let me just repeat it, and maybe it'll help us there. Our true spirituality, who we really are, is tested by what we do when our adversary is vulnerable. Now, if this doesn't touch our hearts, we have no pulse. Saul was as vulnerable as you could ever imagine. Not only was he squatting in a cave, disrobed, unprotected, no one around to defend him. Everyone in the cave wanted to take him down. And everyone was encouraging David to do the deed. Take him out. And I want to tell you, the text outlines everything that you feel and I feel. When we go through these moments when our adversary is vulnerable, here's the temptation. We're going to talk about it, and you say, hey, is that me? Because I know it's all of us. So here are the temptations. Our temptations when our adversary is vulnerable. This is what we feel and experience on the inside. So number one, there is the temptation to rationalize. I know we all do it. And here's, here's where it comes up. The temptation to rationalize. The men said this, verse 4, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So when our adversary is vulnerable, when they're not around, or when you're surrounded by many others that want to see them go down as well, when they cannot defend themselves, when you can inflict as much damage as possible with no means of their own defense, that's when our enemy is vulnerable. And our temptation when that happens 
is to rationalize our behavior and how we handle them. Am I saying the truth here today? Okay, some of you are awake. You know what I'm saying. Because there's things that we say when our enemy is vulnerable and we want to do something against them. Here's some things that we'll say. But I had a peace. You ever heard that one? You ever say that one? I, I had a peace about doing this. Well, you know what? Yeah, Jonah was asleep in the bottom of the boat when he was fleeing from the Lord at peace and disobeying. So we can't just say our peace made it all right. Some people say, you know, my, my motives were right. I mean, my heart was right. Well, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, you know, God knows the intention of our heart. But then he says he's going to judge us based on our actions. Somebody say, oh, my heart was right. Yeah, but if our actions stink, it's still all wrong. All wrong. Some people say, oh, the Lord brought it together. I mean, just all the circumstances, like some people say, you know, I, I, there, there was someone, in, you know, invented Facebook, and I was on my computer, and God just brought these thoughts to my mind to type out about this person. Isn't it neat how the Lord works like that? And we rationalize. You know, one of my favorite uh, verses is, is the Iwana verse in 2 Timothy. And it says, study to show yourselves approved unto God. Let's see how many Iwanaers are out there. A what? A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth. And so here it's... Um, Study to show yourselves approved unto God. Well, you know, my hand is up right now. Because there have been times that instead of studying to show myself approved, I have studied to prove my point. You know the difference? It's called rationalizing. I'm sure I can do this. I know I can. You know, our enemy is vulnerable. They're, we're tempted to rationalize our vengeance through Here's some, here's some ones. I'll be talking to someone else about my enemy. And I'll say, you know what? I wouldn't say this, but we need to, we need to pray for them. You ever hear that one? So I just switched around a phrase I used to say back when I was in junior high. Yeah, well then pray it, don't spray it. You know, you don't have to tell everyone. This is righteous indignation, we'll, we'll put in there. I was righteous and not fleshly when I told others about my adversary rather than talking to him. We'll say, well, you know, God just brought the opportunity together and I felt he led me to share this with others or to do this against them. You know, all of those things are just rationalization over and over and I've done it and you've done it and if you're online, you've done it. Everyone has done it. So I give you this phrase. The Lord says to reason through the scriptures, not rationalize through the scriptures. It's a huge difference. And so some people end up even taking God's signature and forging it on their permission slip to feed their flesh when their adversary is vulnerable. 
We know why we want to do things. We know the craving that exists inside. We know we're looking to excuse our behavior, and we know it satisfies a dark craving deep down, and we know we can deceive ourselves. So the text just says it plainly. It says, you know what? We just can't rationalize our way through this. When dealing with our adversary, we need to think well. We need to think like God does. And so the first temptation is the temptation to rationalize. Here's number two, the second temptation. And I've done this as well. Man, the text sure does let her fly. It says there in um, verse four, here, the, here is David's men say, hey, now's the time. God has delivered them into your hands, him into your hands. And so here the men are watching David slowly creeping up in that cave on Saul. And he's got his sword. And I'm sure, without being noticed, they're thinking in their head, do it, do it, do it. And David goes up. And his robe, and I don't know, you know how this was. It may not have even been on Saul. It could have been over another rock or something. David goes up and just cuts a little portion of it off. And I'm sure the guys are thinking, what? What? Come on. Why, why didn't you go for it? Just a little corner of, of his robe. And here's the interesting point. Instead of gloating, instead of gloating over what he did, notice in the text, this is what it says, verses 5 and 6. I'll throw it up on the screen for you. It says, afterward... This is just after, just that little corner of his robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken. What? I mean, he could have killed the dude. And you're conscience-stricken that you just cut off a piece of his robe? And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him. This guy's the anointed of the Lord. And so here David has this internal meltdown. He understood, you know, even that I did in a, in a difficult, in an insulting way, that was not even of a right motive. And so, you know, here oftentimes when we get in this situation, I would justify. I would say, well, you know what? Big deal. Corner of his rope. I could have killed him. So therefore, that makes this small action, okay. You see how we do it? We can say, you know what? I, I could have told everyone, but I only told one person. Wow, you're so spiritual then. But you know, we justify the small thing because we t- could have done worse. I could have put it out on Facebook, but instead I didn't, and I just chose to go this route. There's so many ways that we can justify. I showed restraint. I only inferred things. I didn't say exactly what they did. Or I just answered their questions. God wouldn't want me to lie. David, again, not only justified, he could have even rationalized. Think about this one. You know, he's the Lord's anointed. Well, guess what I am? I'm also the Lord's anointed. Like, he's no better than I am. I'm supposed to be the next king. Just putting it all together, I can take him out. And so here, instead of rationalizing and instead of justifying, David is absolutely 
conscience stricken and feeling guilt about this. And so we need to walk through this as we finish up. How does God want us to handle vulnerable adversaries? How does he want us to handle our adversaries? Now, just think in your mind. Maybe you want to visualize who that person is. And if you look to your side and it's the same as your visualization, you're in trouble today. (laughs) How do we handle it? How do we handle them? I'm going to give you a couple things right from the text. Have a sensitive conscience. Have a biblically sensitive, God-centered conscience. Even over the little things. Even over the little things. I could have cursed at them. But instead I just raised my voice. I wrote a note to them and didn't sign it. Be conscience stricken even over the little things. Our little words, our emails, our Facebook posts, our memes, our texts, our private conversations, This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where our true spirituality is tested. Even in the insinuation and in how we handle people, our enemy, our adversary, our opposition, when they are vulnerable. We need to say like David the psalmist, God search me, know my thoughts, know what I want to do. And we need to be sensitive in our conscience. I think it'd be good to even have someone around us that could even point out and say, you know, that's, that's, that's not going to do it. That's not Jesus. That's not what David did with Saul. But be conscious, sensitive. Here's number two. It even goes to the next step. Proactively steer those around you to be like Jesus. Verse seven. Check this one out. So it wasn't enough that David was upset that he did this. Notice what he did. So with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his ways. Now let me just tell you, this is a beautiful strategy for the one that would love to take someone out but doesn't. The way he can get it done or the way she can get it done is to allow them to be passively taken out by someone else. So think about it. I didn't inflict harm, but I knew these people would, and I just kept my mouth shut. And then they can do what I wanted to do, the same end, and I'm not guilty. But notice what David did in that cave. He turned over to his guys, all of which would take in the sword from David and killed Saul, And he ends up talking to them. And he ends up rebuking them. And how ironic, this word for sharply rebuked, I just love this, the word for sharply rebuked is the same as Isaiah 53, 5, when it says, he was pierced for our 
iniquity. So here, the only time David uses a sword was to cut off the corner of the robe, and then the second time he used his words as a sword that pierced these guys like, this is not right. Do not touch him. We should not do this. David wasn't going to passively sit back, say, well, it's not my business what they do, so I didn't kill them, so whatever happens, happens. David just could have kept his mouth shut, but instead, not only did he not do it, he talked to the people around him that wanted, and he stood up for something. He says, guys, we're not doing this. We are not doing it. None of you are doing it. How ironic that Saul wasn't pierced through in the cave. His men were. David's men were. And it's when he was proactive. He didn't play politics. He didn't try to elevate himself with his guys by allowing them to do whatever they want. His conscience was gripped to the level that he put an end to the same temptations in other people. So here's our question. Here's our thought from the very beginning. Our true spirituality is tested by what we do when our enemy is vulnerable. Would you stand with me for a minute? Stand with me. Our true spirituality is tested with what we do when our enemy is vulnerable. Would you just close your eyes for a minute and look inside? This is the real us. This is where it all starts. Our true spirituality, how God sees us. This isn't how we want to be seen. This isn't how we want to impress people. This isn't, you know, I go to a lot of church activities or I know a lot of things. This is where the real you and the real me is when my adversary is defenseless and I'm surrounded by people that also want to take him out what I do then is the truth about me where are you at today on this with your eyes closed do you have an adversary how do you handle this What's your impulse? Has God touched your heart today about rationalizing or justifying? Would you take a moment and even express to God if there's a need to own up to things or to confess? Even if you've been passive about things, would you take a moment and talk to God? And ask his forgiveness. And ask for help in how you handle those on the other side of the line. Would you do that right now? Father, I don't know where anyone else here is. I just know where I'm at. And I need to hear this. 
And I had the feeling I'm not the only one. So God, would you penetrate and pierce us like David pierced his men? Help us to take the path of Jesus and to trust you to do what's right because it's not for me to repay. Vengeance is the Lord's. And let him handle this. God, we trust you to do that. Help us to respond with a clear and sensitive conscience and even influencing people around us to do what's right. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me, let me mention, because some of you right now are saying, well, then what can I do? If I can't take him out, if I, if I can't gossip, if I can't do a little dirty on him, what can I do? So I'm going to read you some words of Jesus right now before you go. It's in uh, Matthew 5, 43 to 48, and here's what he says. He says, now you've heard it said of old, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you this, I'm just about to tell you something that's going to rock your world. Just like it did 2,000 years ago when Jesus said, he says, I tell you this, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that they may be children of your Father in heaven. You know, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing it? And if you greet only your own people, that's no different than an unbeliever. He said, be like your Father in heaven. Be like your Father in heaven. So this is the whole thing. Like, why in the world do we treat our adversary like this? Why do we not take him out? Why do we not allow other people to take him out? And, and the whole reason why this is a true test for spirituality is because this is what God did for us. This is what he did for you. This is what he did for me. You know, in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God showed his love in this. While we were his enemy and opposition, he died for us. So we're not asking you to be like David. We're actually asking you to be like Jesus. This is how he treated us in the gospel when we were hopeless and helpless, vulnerable, offending God with our lives. He loved us even to the ends of the earth to die for our sin. That's why David in this situation was a man after God's own heart. And we will too be a person after God's own heart if we respond like Jesus with those on the other side of the line than us.